Do I have the real estate agent for you? First of all, listen carefully. Now, as I'm sure you're aware, is the absolute best time to sell your home. Low inventory, still low rates, unheard of prices going for homes. Most homes go for for above asking price. You need to call Ann Dresser Coker. Ann Dresser Coker at 303-229-6464. That's 303-229-6464. Why? Because she's the best. It's that simple. Once again, voted the number one real estate person by sales in Denver. She's number one in 5280. Everywhere you look, she is at Lib Sotheby's. Give her a call at 303-229-6464. She sold over 150 homes last year alone. She loves what she does. She has repeat customers because of that. She's the best. And you want to go with the best. You want to maximize your profits. Now's the time to sell your home. If you're on the other side, if you're a buyer, give her a call as well. Again, it's Ann Dresser Coker, 303-229-6464 at Live Sotheby's. Steel is the best as well. S-T-I-H-L. They're internationally renowned for their products. And there's been a big push for battery-operated steel products. And I've been on board with battery-powered steel products for a number of years, and you should as well, because they have uh, great tools from trimmers to blowers to the biggest chainsaws you'll find. It's not just uh, weekend warriors like us. It's also the professionals uh, that use steel around the globe. STIHL, you'll find a dealer around the corner from you because there's more than 10,000. They have electric, if that's your thing. They still have naturally gas powered as well. But you got to check out their battery powered products. Go to steelusa.com or steeldealers.com and you'll be blown away by the number of choices you have. Again, it's STIHL, steeldealers.com. This week. On the Drew Goodman Podcast, bad news for baseball, great news for the Broncos, and special guest, former Nugget, former Nuggets coach and longtime Nuggets commentator, Bill Hanslick, with some stories from his playing days. The next time down, I kind of pulled a chair on him and he traveled. Well, then he takes a haymaker at me, and fortunately for my jaw, he missed me by about an inch. Plus some great stories about Doug Moe and some interesting insight on Nikola Jokic. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. All right, everybody, welcome in again. It is show number 139 on the Drew Goodman Podcast. And I feel like starting it as I did last week, I'm going to go positive first because overall I'm in a foul mood over the whole baseball fiasco. And that's what it's becoming, unfortunately. I'm going to go positive because all you Bronco fans out there, heck, even if you're not a Bronco fan, if you're just a casual fan, maybe you live here, but you're a fan of the 49ers or the Steelers. Doesn't matter. The Broncos got Russell Wilson, and that is an A++ maneuver. Russell Wilson was one of the two quarterbacks the Broncos and Bronco fans and Bronco country had kept their fingers crossed would somehow land in Denver. Well, on the same day that Aaron Rodgers announced he's going back to Green Bay, I think the Broncos shocked 
all of the people that followed them and maybe the rest of the NFL when they pulled off the blockbuster to get Russell Wilson. And as it turned out, they were really focused on Wilson the last couple of weeks. I think they felt and they had pretty good intel given their new head coach had worked with Aaron Rodgers that it made more sense and was more plausible to somehow pry Russell Wilson away from Seattle. Took three good players. It took two number ones, two number twos, a number five, and they get Wilson back along with a fourth-round pick. The Broncos are good in many areas. Defensively, you like the wide receiver room. The one thing is we know they were lacking, and you can't lack a quarterback if you want to win and go to the postseason and succeed in the postseason. you got to have one. And they just landed one of the top players in the league. And if you break this down, and I'm not suggesting that I wouldn't want Aaron Rodgers here. Aaron Rodgers has won back-to-back MVP awards. He's collected four of them in his career. He's going to go down as one of the two or three greatest quarterbacks of all time, in my opinion. And that opinion is shared by many of you and many uh, experts out there as well. But he's 38. And in a perfect world, it's probably similar to the length of time, if he were to come here, that Peyton Manning spent here. And for Russell Wilson, who's 33, and I know he dealt with some injuries last year, but this guy never misses, man. He never misses. You could see him playing for you know, anywhere from six to eight more years, honestly. They take care of quarterbacks, as we know in the NFL. All the rules protect quarterbacks. And you have you know, the Tom Brady situation to say, hey, you can play well into your 40s if you so desire. Russell Wilson's a gamer. He's charismatic. He has a passer rating in his career of over 101. Even last year with the injuries, it was a really solid year when you break down his numbers. And Seattle averaged better than 29 points a game. So this was a not a good move. This was a great, great move by the Broncos. And it's exciting. I got to tell you a story uh, or two about Russell Wilson. A couple years ago, I had Seattle. uh, I was doing some games for uh, ESPN Radio nationally, and I was working the game. Uh, It was Seattle at Cincinnati, and I was working with Bill Polian, you know, legendary general manager. And it was about an hour and a half before the game, and, and we're out on the field um, and Russell Wilson going through some warm-ups. He sees Bill Polian, and he comes jogging over, gives uh, gives Bill Polian a big hug. Bill Polian knows everybody in the game naturally, widely respected as he should be. And they and they chat for about ten minutes. And I gave him their space. I moved about fifteen feet away. So then Russell goes back out there, and he uh, you know finishes his warm-ups about ten fifteen minutes later and he's going to go back inside you know get the rest of his gear on and prepare for uh, for the game and as he's coming back I'm still on the field he comes over to me veers over to me reaches out his hand he says Russell Wilson introduces himself and <laughs> I felt like saying hey no shit uh, but we chat for a couple minutes and I told him you know the fact that I do the Rockies etc et and we we talked for a couple of minutes, as I said, and he could not have been more gracious, more engaging. And then as he headed inside the tunnel, there's a lot of Bengals fans there early. As I said, it was in Cincinnati. But Russell Wilson's superstar. He stopped and he signed everything 
that was handed to him in the tunnel area, even though they were Bengals fans. And then he went inside, um, and and it just it just gave you a little bit of additional knowledge and insight into everything you'd heard about Russell Wilson in being such a class guy, uh, you know, being so upbeat, people gravitate to him. The other story I want to tell you, and this goes back to when he was playing in the Rockies organization. He was a fourth round pick at NC State. This is before he went to Wisconsin uh, for his graduate year and set the world on fire and eventually was a third round pick of Seattle. I asked some people in the Rockies organization about Russell Wilson because he's his famous quarterback. And, and Bill Schmidt has always liked to draft uh, you know, guys that were two-sport guys, football quarterbacks who also played baseball, the most famous naturally for the Rockies uh, being Todd Helton. So I asked about Russell Wilson, and the comment, and I'll never forget this, was Russell Wilson – is going to get to the big leagues for one reason. He's not great at anything yet. He's got a ways to go offensively. He's pretty solid defensively. He said, but his leadership characteristics are the best we've ever seen. They're off the charts. And then if you recall, when he went to Wisconsin, he wasn't there two weeks and he was elected captain. Completely new program. And he was elected captain. This guy's different. He is not only really talented and a, and a tremendous quarterback, as we all know, but he is going to own Denver in no time. And uh, I'm excited, man. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled for, for Broncos country. And this was, uh, you know, a hell of a move by George Payton. I mean, this was a hell of a move by George Payton. You got to have a quarterback we know that, <laughs> and you know all the quarterbacks they've been through since Peyton retired. And to get Russell Wilson, huge. Really cool. All right. Got to start with the positive, now the negative. This MLB thing, it's exasperating. It's exasperating for fans. It's exasperating for people that work in the game. And yeah, I'm sure if you're sitting here talking to a player, they'd say they're exasperated. Uh, on the ownership level, I'm sure they'd say they're exasperated. We got teased uh, last week when they were still in Jupiter, Florida, and they negotiated to about three in the morning, and you thought like the next day they were going to come back and have a deal. And the rug got pulled out from underneath. And then in New York, we're taping this on a Wednesday evening, they negotiate Tuesday night well into the wee hours and then Wednesday, you feel like, okay, this is the second go-around in a week. They're going to get this thing done. All reports had most of the numbers pretty close, pretty close. And then the whole thing blows up. And I haven't chosen sides. I think I said last week at the end of the day, uh, I don't feel sorry for either side. I feel sorry for people in the Ukraine right now. I can, I can find a whole long list of people that you really uh, need to have sympathy for. And I felt like initially, when I'd break down some of the issues, the owners need to needed to make some moves in terms of addressing the the minimum wage, if you will, the minimum salary in Major League Baseball. I thought that they needed to address the fact that you know if you're a young player uh, still under team control, but you've become really impactful, outstanding, star level, that you ought to get paid something before you become arbitration eligible, something more significant than than uh, the minimum salary. 
they addressed those things and came up. And, and the CBT, they started at 210. I think the players were way above that. And then more recently, the players were at 238, and they came all the way up to 230. And now I'm starting to think the players have won in a lot of areas. Neither side in a negotiation is ever going to be perfectly happy, nor probably should they be. If you go away elated, you know, maybe the other side didn't do a good job. You should probably both have a little bit of disappointment. But more importantly than than who's at fault and, and, and who should be giving and, and that sort of thing is the game is continually getting damaged. And we are coming out of all of the things you know that we're coming out of. The pandemic, the situation in in Ukraine, all of these other things, people hurting. And you got to get on the field. You have to find a way on the field. And as I said, I'm, I, I wanted to be cautiously optimistic. I used that term a week ago going into the next morning. And then today I felt more optimistic. I want to be optimistic. But I just I don't get it. I don't get it. Exasperated, frustrated, like all of you. And I'm really concerned that a lot of people are going to go away and many might not come back. My Ideal Home Loans guest of the week, interview of the week, is an old friend, a good friend, somebody that's been in this town for a long time. You you talk about being philanthropic. I was talking about uh, some of my sponsors and and how philanthropic uh, they are, and they all are great community members. Well, Bill Hanslick gets A++++ in terms of being a a great member of our community. Started Gold Crown with a a mutual friend of ours, Ray Baker, many years ago that's impacted so many young people in our community. Thousands and thousands and thousands uh, over the years. Really remarkable. Uh, Bill, as you know, was was a pesky player in the NBA. He played for the legendary Doug Moe. And uh, you see him when you can. I understand it's difficult now. uh, On Nuggets broadcast in terms of uh, the studio, typically with Vic Lombardi. And uh, I thought it'd be great to catch up with Bill and tell some old stories about Doug Moe, about playing for Digger Phelps at Notre Dame, and uh, and also talk about one Nikola Jokic as well. So I think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, my former neighbor, longtime Denverite now, former Nugget Nugget coach, Bill Hanslick, our Ideal Home Loans Interview of the Week. I'm going to begin here, Bill. Uh, I would think you should still be thanking me on a daily basis that your property value just shot up, um, oh, about 19 years ago when I uh, when I moved in next to you, right? Yeah, absolutely, Drew. And it, it shot up double that when you left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it went up a lot. So, but we had a lot of fun being next to our neighbors. I, I relish those years together. Your boys growing up and my kids still in, in high school and stuff. It was, we had a lot of fun together. It, it was the best. And, um, you know, I like to bust your chops on a regular basis. Um, uh, I don't know how Mary Beth has done it all these years, but uh, your your kids, your four, your three daughters and Robbie, Uh, How you've raised them has always been uh, a model for 
for myself and for Chris, and um, and I, and I mean that earnestly. You know that. Well, they, you know, thanks, Chris. I'd like to take credit for that, but I, let's be honest. Mary Beth did all the the hard hard lifting, but yeah, we, we've been blessed to have some kids that have. Uh, yeah, they, like all kids go through hard knocks and different things, but they're to support them like most parents do. And and now that they've moved on to adulthood and have kids, I'm, I'm up to 12 grandkids, Drew, and, and they're all doing great. And uh, it's just it's so fun being around them. I I, can, I know. It seems like every week I get a new uh, I, 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 one of you calls me and says, yep, got another one coming. So um, <laughs> you're going to be all the, all the fun and none of the, the, the problems you have to deal with. That's uh, the way I'd describe it. You're you're gonna be uh, you're gonna have to work for a long, long time for all those uh, grandbaby gifts and all that. So that's right. Hey, I want to take you all the way back. Um, when you went to high school, you went to high school in uh, in Oregon and Wisconsin, right? And Alabama, and Alabama, oh. then Oregon, then Wisconsin. So I was gonna say my freshman and a little bit of my sophomore year, I was down at. Mobile, Alabama, at McGill, McGill Tulin High School. Then my dad got transferred, and I was at the rest of my sophomore year, junior year, in Lake Oswego High School in Portland, you know, suburb of Portland, Oregon, and then back to the parent company headquarters in Beloit, Wisconsin, for my senior year. So, hey, Bill, what, at what point in time did you get identified as as a high level player and, and one that you know was going to get offers from from major colleges? Well, you know, Drew, that's a funny story. So I was the youngest of five kids, and I had a passion for basketball, and I started growing in it. And one of the things, moving around, I used to play so much on my own. So I became a pretty adept uh, ball handler for high school. I was actually a six-seven point guard when point guards, the big guys were always on the inside. So that, that occurred maybe in my junior year where I started getting a bunch of not from so much smaller schools, but the bigger schools, the Pac-10 or Pac-12. Back then, I think it was Pac-8 or Pac-10, I don't know, uh, schools in Northern Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State, schools like that. And and then it just grew. And as I moved to Wisconsin, then it, it really opened up the Midwest with Big Ten schools and stuff. And uh funny part of the story is I didn't know – I ended up going to the University of Notre Dame. Didn't, didn't, Notre Dame was just another school. I didn't know really much about it at all. And my dad sent them a tape. And unbeknownst to me, and then we took a little recruiting visit down that was uh, not with them bringing me down, but we went on our own. And when I was there, I said, this is where I want to go to school. Like the size of it. I was going to be an engineering major. I like that. Um, just, you know, playing a, a national schedule, we were independent, and it all worked out, and uh, being Catholic, that being a Catholic school, that, it was all great. How about playing for Digger? <laughs> wow. Uh, Digger was the master recruiter, so he could tell, talk the lingo, and we had incredible talent. I mean, just incredible. We had... During my four years, we had 13 guys that ended up playing in the NBA. And I'm not talking on a 10-day contract, years or more. Uh, and um, we should have won it all. That's the way I looked at it. I was like, wow, how did we not win it all? Probably the closest we got. Uh, we made the final four my sophomore year. 
junior year, we got beat by Michigan State in the regional finals, and that was Magic Johnson and their gang was really good. Um, but uh, Digger was a showman. He, he loved the TV and the limelight and, and all that. And I often said, we just had to play fundamental basketball. We could have done a lot better. But he liked little gimmicky zones and stuff. We were just so talented. Drew, I, I, I tell people that we have a we if you looked at our best team, John Paxson, who played for the Bulls, won a championship, and I would have been the guards. At Ford was Tre- Kelly Trapuca and Orlando Woolworth, both outstanding players. Orlando played for the, the Nuggets a little bit, and then at center, everybody's favorite, Bill Lambeer. We could have been an NBA playoff team with that roster right there. Yeah, that was a great. I mean, that was a great roster, and I didn't. I knew it was a big number. I didn't. Four, thirteen guys playing for a significant period of time in the NBA over four years—that's unheard of now. I mean, yes. even you look at like the great Duke teams, the great Carolina teams. There ain't thirteen guys that stick that long in the NBA over a four-year period. Yep, you're a hundred percent right. That's right. I, I mean, I often said our practices we're better than a lot of the games because like most coaches do, they, they focus in on their starters and the starters were controlled enough and the reserve guys could kind of just play their games. And often that the backup guys would beat the starters. It would drive the coaches nuts. Hey, when, uh, when you guys played magic, I forgot about that. You know, magic, huge name. And, and they had, listen, People forget they had other talent around Magic uh, also. They did. But Jay Benson was, you know, former Nugget player, was on that team. And Greg Kelser, a Detroit player. Yeah, they were they were loaded. They, they were loaded. What what were your impressions, you know, going into and coming out of that game playing Magic? Man, unbelievable, because he, he was kind of my assignment. And that's what that's why I figured you had to cover him. Yeah. Yeah. And and. and Michigan State had a really good 2-3 zone that they played that bothered us a little bit. And they, they got off to a like a 10-point lead pretty quick. And that's, it just stayed at 10 the whole game. We couldn't really crack it down. I picked up a third foul late in the first half, and so I had to sit. But, you know, just, just watching Magic's skill at his size, you know, not the best shooter, but, but a really good ball handler, passer, and with his size, he – he, he, he scored inside, and uh, he was tough to defend. I think one of the greatest games or individual performances ever, I'm bouncing around here, Bill, is when Magic, because Kareem got hurt and played center in the NBA Finals, and I don't, what, what did he go for, like 40? I mean, he just literally went yeah. from the point to playing the pivot. What's so interesting about that, Drew, the year before is where they beat Burge. I mean, that was the year we lost in the Finals final regional finals to him he goes on to win the ncaa championship next year as you said he's with the lakers they win it all and he plays center i'm not sure if he was the mvp in that series he probably was i mean just all-star you know wins the ncaa win. i don't know if anybody's ever won the ncaa and then gone on to win the nba championship in back-to-back years pretty incredible yeah i'll tell you what was interesting too because even then when you were in college, Bill, you had developed quickly a reputation as as a as a tenacious defender, a pain in the ass to play against. So it it wasn't just under Doug when you arrived from Seattle. It goes way back to your days in South Bend, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I 
you know, I was on a team, as I, I talked about, we had so much talent. Where do you find a spot where you can pick up minutes and play? Well, early on, I, I had been a, you know, I took pr- a lot of pride in my defense in a high school, which a lot of kids don't. Um, but I had some coaches that were big-time defensive defenders or defensive coaches. And, and so I, I, I went to Notre Dame, and it really happened my sophomore year. We were playing Marquette, and the player of the year that year was a guy named Butch Lee. Uh, Butch was a 6'3 guard, and, and I was coming off the bench. If I played, I might have played about 10 minutes or something, not that much. But um, uh, we got behind, and Butch Lee had a game going. And Digger put me in to guard Butch. And I don't know if it was just him missing shots or my defense, whatever, but but I ended up having a good defensive game against him, scored a little bit, and uh, I was the CBS player of the team. So that kind of trademarked me from there on as being a defensive player. And, and not only did I guard guards, but I guarded big guys and centers, and, and then it kind of translated over into pros like that. Do you know, I read this, and – I never knew this, and I assume it's accurate, and you may not even know this, or maybe you do, but when you went in the first round to Seattle, you were the only player in that first round that didn't average in double figures collegiately. Yes. Matter of fact, it's something like that. There's some funny stat where I was the lowest or next to the lowest um, scoring average of a first round pick, and the other guy was John Havlicek. Well, he, he, he. I think this is right. He was at a great team. I think it was Ohio State. I can't remember exactly where he went. Yeah, Ohio State. Ohio there, State. there were a lot of players on the team, so you almost see why he did. In my case, I, you know, divine intervention or whatever. My case was really unique because I was supposed to be about a third round pick, but. I had played in some USA basketball teams that they must have kept things going or keep files or whatever, and I got invited to the Olympic trials. Well, that was 1980, and that was the year um, the Olympics that the U.S. boycotted going to Russia. And so that enabled me not only go to the Olympic trials, but there were some guys that didn't, ma- you know, didn't try out that probably would have made that team, and that. That probably means I probably wouldn't have made that team. Well, I ended up making the Olympic team, and I think that vaulted me into the first round at 20 pick of, of Seattle. And so it's kind of, you know, yeah, that I worked hard and I really tried to, do, you know, do the things I had to do. Yes, but but having a little luck that the uh, USA not playing in the Olympics it really helped me. How, was that? Do you reflect back on that ever? I know I've asked you privately about that. Was it? You know, disappointing that, you know, you you were in USA. What a great honor across your chest. But you don't get to go to, you know, the greatest sporting event, you know, historically, typically. I know that it's become so political lately, but and it was political then, obviously, because you didn't go. And then Russia didn't go in 84 when it was in L.A. But do you remember what your thoughts were? Yeah, you know, I, I do, Drew. And I, I really first my first initial thoughts were. I really felt bad for the athletes that this was their one chance. 
whether you were a gymnast, a volleyball player or something, there, there, everybody has a story. That, yeah, some people could wait another four years and maybe give it a go again, but it, but it was really maybe your size or your age or whatever it might be, this was your one shot. This was the pinnacle of your career. Well, in my case, the pinnacle of playing was playing in the NBA. And I had to be the oddball. We're not going healthy. Again, it, it vaulted me into the first round. I'm, honest, I'm an honest guy. I, I know uh, how that works and everything. And and so it, it helped me, but I really felt badly for these other athletes. We had a, one of the things the, the Olympic Committee tried to appease everybody. They had a big uh, gala, whatever, where they brought all the Olympic athletes to Washington, D.C. We went before Congress. Basketball team actually got to go to the White House. That's during Jimmy Carter. We we were in there, and um, so it was kind of cool. You had to bring two guests, so I brought my parents, and it was it was kind of neat. We had a whole weekend in D.C., but uh, that's where I really got to meet some of the other athletes and hear their stories. Yeah, and that's a great perspective on it cause, because you know, Bill, you you were fortunate. You went on to a you know a really fine ten year NBA career, and, and guys in basketball, your teammates were going to have in you know NBA careers. But if but the Olympics is the absolute pinnacle for so many athletes in the more individual sports where there's not a, a place where they can go earn a living afterward or at least earn you know accolades um, afterwards. So that that was well put. Well, it it was a, it was a unique time in our history of the country, but really unique for me for sure. Okay, so you go to the NBA, Seattle, a couple of years. You get traded to Denver. What was your initial impression of Doug Moe? I don't know. I, I don't know if I could really think. I mean, we had training camp in Alamosa, and one of the other guards on the on the team, T.R. Dunn, had a contract just three years holding on. So Doug was this run, run, run. We're in Alamosa, high altitude, and we, I think we had five guards in training camp. So it was like a no-breather training camp. But I, I was a two-guard when I first came in. And, uh, but then as you you got, you know, I, I look at Doug, and, and my style of play and how I train and everything was like hand-in-glove with Doug. I mean, it, it, it you know, I, I was average height, average, well, probably below average speed, no jumping ability, you know, quicks were okay for a small forward. But Doug liked to play small ball. One of the things that I did well was that I could run all day. I trained hard to, to just be able to run the court all day. So that fit in with Doug. And then uh, because of my defensive abilities, he was one of the originals of small ball. So it, Doug Pilot said, we can't match up with them. Make sure they can't match up with us. So I would start centers and power forwards, and 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 that just vaulted me. I think I think one year I was – Second team, all defensive team, because with this six seven skinny guy, weigh about two hundred, guarding Kareem and a Keem Lajuan, Patrick Ewing, but we ran so much that it, it really confused the other teams. Uh, Hands, you forgot one guy, one big that you covered, which Nugget fans and astute NBA fans will never forget, and that was you guarding seven foot four inch Ralph Sampson. Um, and you uh, annoyed him enough that he turned and took a swing at you. Can you recount that story for us? Oh, that, 
that's a great story. Yeah. A huge game at McNichols Arena. The winner's going to win the Midwest Division. Probably have home court advantage in the playoffs. So big, big game. Packed house. Going crazy. And I, I don't remember exactly I, I, if we were – I think we were probably down a little bit. I get in the game, and uh, Doug Moe tells me to guard Samson. I go, okay. So first thing that I always do when I'm guarding big guys is, is in my head is I, I'm going to take away – their go-to moves, and then just be ready to counter their counter. You know, so so Samson likes to go across the middle and shoot his guy hook. So the first time down, I strip it down low. I can't – no way I'm going to block his shot, but I strip it down at waist level. We go down and score. Next time down, I'm not going to let him go across the middle, and, and he charges me, pulls me over, gets the charge. Now he's a little mad. The next time down, I kind of pull the chair on him, and he travels. Well, then – he takes a haymaker at me, and fortunately for my jaw, he missed me by about an inch. <laughs> whatever my mind, I said, first in my mind is I'm not swinging at him because my wife will be mad because it's going to cost big money. I'm not getting fined. But I got right in his grill, and I just go, you're out of here. And the thing about, I remember about it, he left the court. He got ejected. And he double birds the fans going off the court. So... We end up winning that game probably a lot because he, he was ejected. But here's the best part of this story. So later on, we play them in Houston. And my parents live in Alabama. And uh, they want to come over to the game. My mom wants to come to the game. I go, Mom, I, you know, I don't know if that's such a good idea. And <laughs> as all moms do, well, what did you do? They go, hey, it's a long story, Mom. I said, but if you want to come, okay. But first thing, don't tell anybody you're related to me, and then I'll I'll make sure there are tickets. So, so well, I said, well, you'll just when I get off the bench to go in the game, you'll know what I'm talking about. So sure enough, we're starting Houston, we're playing the game. Nuzmo yells at me at about the I don't know, six seven minute mark of the first quarter. I'm like, going for whoever it is, and I was no more six inches off the chair then the whole arena is booing me because <laughs> I guess I beat up on their 7'4", 260-pound uh, center. <laughs> did, did you pretty comical. Did you ever have any interaction with him after that? Were you, were, was there ever a conversation about that? You know, you know what? That's kind of interesting. No, I, I didn't really have that. You know, we didn't really cross paths. But, but it, you, you know, a lot of times the games, I mean, you just move on. It wasn't like this grudge match the next right. time we played. We played numerous times thereafter, so nothing really happened thereafter. But uh, that was a unique situation. Hey, by the way, I'm jumping around a little bit, but I, when people talk about the greatest centers ever, and, and you, you got to talk about Russell and Chamberlain, certainly it was, you know, you know, 50 years ahead of his time, right? Um, I have often said that for me, in covering the NBA and doing Nugget games for a long time, the the best big man I ever saw was Akeem Olajuwon. He was the one guy, he had that, what they call the dream shake inside, and so quick, so powerful, and an incredible, just rebounder, quick. I, I didn't really have an answer for him. It was like, hope he misses the shot when he takes it, because there's nothing I can do to really stop him. And, and hands for the... For the, for those that always point out, well, the, the most unstoppable offensive move, you know, Kareem Skyhook, and certainly it belongs in the conversation. But you couldn't stop the dream shake six eleven, and he had he literally had the quickness of a guy like six four. It's crazy. Yeah, 
you're, you're 100% right. It's just, he was just a, a phenomenal athlete, and I, I don't know how many times, he must have been MVP of the league multiple times. I can't remember, won championships and, yeah, and all that. We'll have more with Bill Hanslick in a moment, but first it's for Ideal Home Loans. Got to check out Ideal Home Loans. If you're in the market for a home, if you are looking to save money and refinance, if you're looking to consolidate debt, they're the ones to call at 303-867-7000, 303-867-7000. Ideal Home Loans, more than 20 plus years in our area. Also, as I've told you on many occasions, they're down in Arizona as well. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Uh, they have been a great community partner. Um, and also mentioned phil- philanthropic. They are philanthropic as well. Uh, so give them a call and uh, see if they can help you out. See what products they have uh, that may help you save money. It's that simple. Just give them a call at 303-867-7000. It's Brent Ivinson's team at Ideal Home Loans. Got to start your day with Boyer's Coffee. It's the best way to start your day. Smooth and perfectly brewed each and every time. Since 1965, they've been brewing in the Rocky Mountain area, uh, not only locally owned and operated, but uh, they've been such a a great member of the community, uh, philanthropic and uh, caring about the environment for years and years. And they have great choices for you if you go to boyerscoffee.com and you can order your coffee online, have it delivered as I do to your house. They got the uh, the K pods, which I use, um, which I think are great. But you know, you can get your coffee any different way. But they have all kinds of other products as well. So I encourage you to go to BoyersCoffee.com and see what's cooking because there's always deals as well that's going to save you some dollars. That's BoyersCoffee.com. Now back to more with the former Nugget and uh, current studio host and analyst, Bill Hanslick. Hey, more on Doug, though, because Doug and, and you've remained close with him. I talk to Doug still. Uh, I adore him. And it, to me, he is the all time Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde in that. He he could make a sailor blush with the language he would use, and his jacket and tie never lasted more than 45 seconds into a game, and he could, and you know, because he got after you left and right and every night and every practice, he, he could undress the, anyone, and yet when you talk about Doug to players like you and TR and Alex English, it, it's not just, yeah, he was a good coach. Or, I, you know, I actually liked him. You guys all adore him. And yet he was a maniac for the 48 minutes the game was going on. Yeah. Well, the, the, the interesting thing about Doug was once the game was over, that was it. It was like light switch off. Hey, what are you doing? What's, uh, guys, I have practice tomorrow. Blah, 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 you know, he he didn't. He was one of those coaches that would carry a grudge for you know the rest of uh, your your NBA career because he didn't like them. And he he was just fun to play with. Um, the most unique coach I've been around a lot of coaches, uh, both back then and then 
you know, I played for Lenny Wilkins with Seattle and coached with him and different guys that I've seen, play, you know, coach. Doug is the most unique coach ever in the history of the NBA, in my opinion. If you put all the NBA coaches in sort of one galaxy, they're all in there somewhere. They all have different systems and, and all that kind of stuff. If you put him, uh, it, he's in a whole different galaxy by himself. No plays. Actually, we had one play, and it was an out-of-bounds play. And he would just say, follow me, everybody else. Confuse the other team. Call it orange, 98, blue, black, whatever. It's the same play. <laughs> and offensively, we had no plays. But his style was such that move the ball, pass, cut. And it confused other teams because they were so bent on how we're going to play the Nuggets. They run this pick and roll or whatever, and this is how we're defending. Well, Doug, we didn't have there. Were, it was, everything was ad lib, and it, it sounds weird, but it was highly effective because he would maximize your effort and run. And uh, Doug would say, "Look, I want you to run where it's uncomfortable," and we would run where it's. Think about the other team. You're running where it's uncomfortable. The other team really hated that. What, what, what's your favorite uh, story of Doug telling either yourself or TR done not to shoot? Well, yeah, I got one better than that. People always think their favorite Doug Mose. Well, this is my favorite one. So our tra- this prefaces with Chopper Travellini is our trainer of the Nuggets, and he would sit – Right now, to Doug and Alan Bristow, head coach, assistant coach. So we're, we're playing a game in Golden State. Our starters start off great. They're just playing lights out. I think we're up like 16 points or something. And then it's Doug yelling. I always sat the furthest away from Doug I could because I didn't want to hear him yell. So, so he's like, get in the game. So I, I, I go in the game. And the lead kind of goes 16, 14, 12, and Doug's getting madder and madder. So I missed a shot. I traveled. I found a guy. It's one of those games nothing's going right. And he, he's leaving me in there, and it's 16, 14, 12, 10. By the end of the first quarter, I think we're up to 12, or up to. And, 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 and Doug is just at his one out of 10 scale, he's 10, yelling. And and he yelled at Chopper. He goes, that hey, it's like a one-man disaster zone in there. And Chopper says to him, what are you yelling at me for? You put him in the game. <laughs> <laughs> and, and going back, even the great Alex English, the one guy it seemed like he didn't yell at a lot was, was TR. Like, TR could not do anything wrong in Doug's eyes. Is that fair? Yeah, we, we said, yeah. But that's Calvin Nash. Oh yeah. Well, he was afraid of Calvin. Yeah, I think he was afraid of, afraid of uh, Dr. Gus too. So that's why I didn't say anything. But they, Dr. was so Dr. never said anything really. He just played hard, great defender, physical. So it's kind of like, how can I yell at Dr.? But he did yell at him one game because Dr. missed a bunch of shots. He came over the bench and goes, Dr., I don't ever want you to shoot again. And that's what he the game. Don't shoot anymore, or no, ever again. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Dr. Uh, Dr. had a nice old mid-range shot, but he's he was more of a great defensive player and mid-range shooter, offensive rebound, two guard. So yeah. uh, he let you know Dr. did end up shooting, but it was kind of funny. It's like never shoot again. 
Oh my goodness! I, I just I just think of the, some of the stories back then. It, it was he was he was and he still is classic. I'm gonna have Doug on at some point because Doug Doug cares more every year about his baseball rotisserie league than he than he than he ever was. He was passionate as he thought he was about basketball. He cares more about his baseball rotisserie league and fantasy fantasy football. I got a story. I know you remember this. When he thought you guys were playing horseshit defense, so he told you guys to stand on the baseline and nobody be on the court. For remember that? Oh yeah. Two, there's two great stories. That that was one. That was in Portland. He actually got fined by the league because Jack Ramsey says he wanted the, Portland to get set their record at like 150 points scored in a game. So we had to play D all game. So he said. At the end, when we actually played defense, we're calling, she calls time out. We're, we're getting beat by 20. He goes, he goes, no, don't start playing D now. I want you to run on the bench. Once you miss a shot, go to the baseline and, and stand there. So the other team, <laughs> fortunately, there was only about a minute to go in the game, so it only happened like twice. The other, through the other great story, we're, we're playing a game in Washington against the, uh, they weren't the Wizards back then. What were they? Poland. We got one of those things. We're, we're running, but it's like there's no pass. Doug Love, multiple touches, pass, move, cut. And, but it was like one pass, shot, one pass, run. And we're down, uh, we're down like 20 in the second quarter. Doug calls the timeout. He goes, that is disgraceful. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's what I want you to do. If when the first person over half court with the ball, shoot the ball. Because that, that, that's how you get but the first person to overshoot it. If you don't shoot it, you're coming out of the game. We're like, what? And he goes, that's the end of the timeout. Get out there. So, yeah, we shoot a couple more like that. We go down some more. Then he calls another timeout after a couple minutes of doing that. And he says, you get my drift? Now move the freaking bat- basketball. Well, we're boom, 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 boom. We come back, win the game. Wow. He was unique about what he did. Yeah. That, that hey, Drew, is- Drew, I got a question for you. He- Yes. This is this is a good one. So, what did you? Here I am. I'm an, a former NBA basketball player. I, I I was coaching for a while. Get fired by the Nuggets as head coach. This was my foundation. And then your team at Fox, whatever. I think it was through Tommy Shepard that the relations said, "Hey, we want you to do TV." And I'm like, "No, nah, this can't work." And and then I'm talking to you. Go, yeah, come on down. We'll do a thing on on uh, like the VHS tape. And then we'll see if you can do a game. Would you say to me, never having any TV experience, the first time I ever did a game with you? Um, you know what, Bill? I I don't. Obviously, I remember you as my partner. Certainly, I don't remember. So we did an audition. Yeah, we we put a VHS tape down on your at Fox Studio right off of. Uh, yeah. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, we, down by the Platte River. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! Wow, I don't remember that in particular. I, 
I have so many recollections of different partners because you actually hung around and, and obviously you've hung around a long time because you, you know, you were good at it and you still, and you're still involved. Bill, back in the day, the 10 years, and of course you were coach, one of them where you had no chance, the, the famous or infamous 11 and 71 uh, season, which we'll get to in one second. But Bill, I've, I had in the 10 years I broadcast the Nuggets, I had more partners than you all had players. I mean, seriously, G, you know, Logues did the games for a while, Dave Logan, um, and, and obviously Dave was great, but, you know, Gene Littles, Mike Evans. Um, Todd Lickie, didn't you have Todd Lickie? Todd for a while, I love Todd. Um, you know, so many different guys did games, you know, here, Alex English, you know, so many different guys, and... Um, you know, then you came aboard, and 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 you obviously we were kidding about it off the top of the uh, the interview that the the reason we lived next to you for the better part of twenty years was you called in the you called us in the hospital because Gabe, my youngest, was just born, checking on Gabe, and you said, by the way, my neighbor's about to put the house on the market, and we always obviously loved your area, your neighborhood, and and that's why we ended up living next to you. So I just remember you and I would drive home late at night from, you know, when we got in in the middle of the night on from a road game. And we it, it was nice because we were going to the same yeah, place. And, yeah. yeah. And and, and I uh, drives were a lot better. And it was cool because you're working with a good friend. And I think at the end of the day, I'm being honest here. If you're if you're broadcasting with somebody you consider a, a, a good, close friend, it just it comes out hopefully on the air and it makes things a lot easier, uh, especially when the team, you know, is not great and 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 during that time frame as we both know the team wasn't great yeah well i, I look back a little different we had a ball together and here i'm i'm an engineer by background running a foundation and now they want me to do television and i'm like well what's this all about well i got to work with the best i know you're multiple multiple times broadcaster of the year and i learned a lot from you about prepping a little bit but but i also learned about being yourself on air and and I don't know, I'm still doing it, Drew. Uh, you, you know, you know, you are, and you're doing it well, and you bring passion, and I appreciate that that compliment. But it was fun, and and I and I'll steal a line that Doug often said, Doug Mo, when he was you know after a game or, or reflective on you know being involved in in sports, he goes, "What are you kidding me?" You know, the the Brooklyn would come out, and Doug, he goes, "We're in the toy store of life." And he's right, you know. Yep. He's he's. Yep. Hey, hey, very a, a couple more real quick hands. The eleven and seventy one season. I want to go to that because I want to tell you a story first that you may or may not remember. What helped me as a broadcaster get through that season is one of your assistants, and you were involved in some of these games as well. But you know, you were the head coach, Mike D'Antoni. We would play, Mike had all these different card games, variations of poker. And we would play, one of them was called Milano. And because Mike had played, you know, in Italy for a number of years, right? We would play cards after games, on bus rides, on the plane. I mean, all the time. And that was one of the things that got me through that 11 and 71 season. Mike couldn't play as much the next year because you had moved on and Mike was now the head coach. But I that's one of the things I remember of that that season. Oh yeah, cards were a, still today is 
similar. You know, where they they play a lot, uh, just make your mind off the games and stuff. Uh, a little higher stakes with today's players, though, Drew. Yeah, I don't play. Listen, listen. I remember I would play occasionally with the Joe Wolf game, and then what there was a. The games that took place toward the back of the airplane, I would have no business in. Yeah, stay away from that one. Yeah, yeah I would have I would have no business in. One of the other things I remember about, at least on the court, hands, because you had no chance. And you were able to pick up, Corey Alexander got released by San Antonio. And, and the Nuggets pick up Corey Alexander, who could score a little bit. And y'all couldn't score. Otherwise... You probably—I don't mean you personally—but the Nuggets would have broken the record. Would you oh, concur for for the yeah. poorest season in NBA history? And, and we were right on that that path, and we had some upset wins. We actually got a little bit better late in the year, and uh, there was even some games we probably could have won a few more that we had no business winning. And it, it was a tough season. Owner, ownership total and luck. They fired my buddy GM. Alan Bristow, which was dumb. He had set this team up. I said, look, I, I'm I'm fine with going with how we're going to rebuild this, but we've got to get off the salary caps. We've got to set up with draft picks to create, um, you know, some poker to play with. And we did those things initially. Unfortunately, the veterans that we were going to play, oh, well, one we signed, slowed out, Eric Williams, he was averaging about 20 a game. Lafonso Ellis was coming off an Achilles injury and we thought he might be able to play a little earlier. No, not until the late of the, late of the year and even then it was, he wasn't up to his normal speed. And then Brian Smith had a horrible ankle and would just limp around. So we were, we were bet, you know, under the gun. But, but, but I, you know, what got me through it was my faith and my family. And that was just a brutal year, Drew, <laughs> as you know. But, you know, when you reflect back, they're part of the great stories of sport and, and being in this town where you ended up, you know, setting up shop and and making your home. And two more I'm going to give you. I, I think I know the answer to this, uh, other than certainly your children and now your grandchildren. Uh, your greatest legacy um, will be what you started many, many moons ago with Ray Baker, and that's the Gold Crown Foundation, and, and I'm pretty confident in, in making that assertion, correct? Oh, absolutely. You know, often in life, you don't you don't know where your path's going to take you, but just get on a path. It's going to lead you somewhere. So my, my uh, best friend and business partner, Ray Baker, uh, came to me back at I don't know what year it was, like 85, and we, we uh, maybe it was 85, 86, somewhere around in there, we we decided to do some things, fill some voids. So the void we wanted to fill was uh, basketball. So let's do a girls' basketball camp. So we did a one-week camp, had about 150 girls, raised a bunch of money, and we just gave it away. Uh that was our fun, and we did that for a couple of years. And then we said, you know, we could probably do a little bit. We begin to add things and do more and more and more. And to today, we serve about 15,000 kids annually. Our, our mission statement is, is educating youth through sports enrichment. So we have both sports programs and educational 
Spanish theme programs that are really cool. And uh, our tagline is preparing kids for the game of life. So um, it's been just a thrill to watch the growth of this. And we're not done growing, Drew. Put it that way. I I know you're not, and and you know I have spent with my kids, um, you know, they're grown now, but countless, countless uh, hours inside the Gold Crown uh, facilities in Lakewood and on the baseball field there, the Kelly McGregor field right right adjacent. Uh, you guys have done marvelous, marvelous things, and um, I, I, I tip my hat to you and Ray and I know I do that with millions, literally millions of other parents who've had, you know, kids go through. So uh, congrats to you on that. As we as we depart, I want your thoughts and people get it on a regular basis. Unfortunately, you know, because of the situation uh, television wise, a lot of people don't get to see you on a regular basis. But Nikola Jokic is what? as a basketball player uh, right now in the NBA and historically as a nugget for you? Well, I, I would class that right off the bat and say it. he is not minorly the best player nugget in history. He is by far the best nugget player in history, in my opinion. And he's 27 years old doing this. I mean, what he's done already is incredible, but – yeah, there's just not enough accolades for him. MVP last year, having an even better season this year. What makes him special, he's fun to watch to play. He does it all. People say, well, he is a good defensive player because it's, he deflects balls, he puts himself in the right position. We, we've seen it. I think he leads the league in game-winning block shots. I mean, there's, there's so many little things about him. But what I really like about him, too, He's an incredible person off the court and on the court. Teammates love him. Coaches love him. And he is who he is. He, he doesn't have to he, – he's just a great person, and it's fun to broadcast and watch him. He's one of those guys every night you sort of need to have a camera on him or just watch him a little because his vision – my joke is I always say when he throws one of the bombs on TV, I, just, I go, uh, hey, I hear the Broncos are looking for a QB. They had a look at this guy. He's got great vision and can throw deep. Yeah, he's a remarkable player, but to your point, and I don't know him, but he it's pretty clear he's a really genuine guy. Oh, yeah. You just can't stress that enough. I mean, little things like he'll come off the lock of the court and, and run down the hallway going to the locker room. And you'll see other families with smaller children or toddlers. And he'll, he won't go in the, in, the, in the locker room. He'll pick those kids up and, and shake them and look at them. And they're like, their eyes are wide open because here's this seven-footer picking them up and holding them above his head. And, uh, he, he's the ultimate, ultimate competitor, just wants to win all the time. And he knows when it's Joker's takeover time. I, I, the, the game he had... Uh, a couple of nights ago, uh, God, who were they playing? I can't even think. But, oh, New Orleans had him. Coast, Joker, when he entered the game with about 10 minutes and 20 seconds to go in the game, Nuggets scored 40 points from that point, 41 I think it was, 41 from that point 
to that through overtime. So it's about 15 minutes. In that 15 minutes span, he scored 30 points, and he had three assists that accounted for 30, uh, seven points. So that's 37 of the 41 points that the Nuggets scored, and they needed every single one of them. That yet he just refused to lose. Yeah, he should be, and we're the you know we're in a flyover state. I get it. Um, he should be the MVP again. If you look at, especially you look at all the advanced metrics, and you know that Murray and Porter have been out the whole year, he should be the MVP. And that's not taking anything away from Embiid or anybody. You know, obviously John Moran has had a great year, but what the Joker has done this year actually exceeds what he did a year ago when he was the MVP. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many categories when you just look at, particularly his triple doubles. He's he, he's not just high. He leads the season, by the way. But in his career, he's I think he's like third now, something like that. Third in triple doubles. You're talking Chamberlain and Oscar Robinson. These guys, and he's only 27 years old. I think I think uh, Chamberlain might have been 34 when he got his last triple double or something. Uh, so it's just. You can overtake those guys, too. Yeah, joy to watch. Hands, I, I wish you uh, all the best, not only on the broadcast, but continued great success, uh, most importantly, with, with the Gold Crown Foundation. And you know how much I appreciate your friendship and uh, and you and Mary Beth. I like Mary Beth better than you, but so does everyone else. That's obvious. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a given. Um, but uh, bless you, my friend. Hey, Drew, great, great podcast. Love catching up with you all the time. And those podcasters, if you know anything about Gold Crown, go to goldcrownfoundation.com. We have programs for your kids that are just outstanding. Our team, staff, is just so good. And they've been with us forever. So thanks again for having me on, Drew. Good luck. We'll we'll catch you on the next Rocky broadcast. All right, or or dinner at your house. I I appreciate it, man. All right, brother. Man, I had fun catching up with Hans, and, and I see him, you know, fairly regularly. They remain really close friends. In fact, I was kidding him about dinner because uh, we were just over there for dinner. Uh, Mary Beth, who's a wonderful cook, just cooked up a storm, so we had a nice time over there uh, recently. And Hans continues with Ray Baker and Gold Crown to do great stuff, and we've set up uh, a link that you can uh, find out more about Gold Crown if you don't already know. Uh, so... There is that. Hey, a couple uh, more little hoop items before we get on out of here. Number one, congrats to CU as we uh, tape this. They're the fourth seed in the Pac-12 tournament. Best of luck to Tad Boyle's team. Peaking at the right time, gotten better and better. They were picked sixth in the preseason. They finish in the top four and get that first round by. So so good for the buffs. And uh, maybe they have a, a special run in them this year. On the weekend, on Saturday, I made my way up to uh, Fort Collins as a fan to go watch Colorado State and Boise State. And Boise State won the regular season title for Leon Rice, who's a terrific coach. And they played a great game. Both those schools played a great game on Saturday night in front of another sellout, fifth in a row at Moby, more than 8,000 screaming people. It was awesome. I mean, it was as good a college basketball atmosphere as you'll find anywhere, anywhere in the country. Anywhere. It was that good. And the game matched the intensity of the fans. 71-68, Colorado State prevails. They break back into the top 25, by the way, uh, at the uh, start of the week. And uh, they're poised 
Uh, hopefully to have a nice run of the Mountain West Conference Tournament. They're the two seed. By the way, they swept Boise State, who ended up winning the regular season title. And Boise will be in the uh, NCAAs. Colorado State, obviously, will be in the uh, in the big dance, along with uh, Wyoming and San Diego State. But I, I can't tell you how much fun I had being up there. And it was awesome to see uh, so many people in green and gold and, and so excited about Nico Medved's team. So... Uh, that's uh, that's my little college hoops roundup as uh, we head deep into March. Going to be a whole lot of fun. Keep your fingers crossed that uh, somehow these uh, parties in baseball can get right back to the table because it just gets more complex because if they're going to miss games, players are still going to want to get paid as they've stated for 162, and you got to figure the owners are going to be reluctant to do that if you don't play 162. Till next week, stay safe, stay well, tell your friends about our little podcast, and make sure you download all the DNBR podcasts, especially uh, the Rockies one with my buddy Patrick Lyons. They do great work, uh, and uh, they have every sport covered imaginable. That's the DNBR guys. All right, till next week, take care, and uh, we'll do it again in seven days. 